I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. Our feature today is the talented multi-genre artist who began life in Vietnam. Mong Long writes poetry, but she is also highly accomplished in music, the visual arts, and she teaches the tango. She's had work included in the best poems from 30 years of the Pushcart Prize. Then we take a look at Smashwords.com, an extremely powerful and useful tool that poets can use to self-publish their work as an ebook, completely without financial risk. Okay, our featured poet today is Mong Lan. She's a poet, writer, painter, photographer, multi-instrumentalist, composer, singer, dancer, and a teacher of the Argentine tango, a generically, generally artsy person, you might say. She's won awards for her poetry. In fact, one of her poems is in a collection, The Pushcart Book of Poetry, the best poems from 30 years of the Pushcart Prize. She's been a Stegner Fellow at Stanford University and a Fulbright Fellow in Vietnam. And I'm really glad you could be here today to talk to us and uh, and read some poems. Thank you so much, Charlie. It's such an honor for me to be here with you all and um, share my work with you. And, you know, you told me that you were, uh, well, you were very serious and thoughtful in selecting the poems that you were thinking about reading with, with us. And I'm wondering, like, what were you looking for as you look through your poems to think of, uh, well, what am I going to read? Well, I, you know, when, when I give a poetry reading, I usually have um, lots of things that I'm thinking about wanting to read, and then I mark them, but then I usually only know when I get up there, and then I start reading. So with you, you, you asked me to send poems, so I sent you poems, and I thought, well, I'll send you more than I would read. And then on the moment, I'll think about it. And then I'll just choose from what I sent you. I, you know, I, and then I wanted to send you um, a sample, a kind of like a, a sampling of what I've been doing over the years in terms of my um, subject matter and, um, and, yeah, subject matter and, and, um, and um, you know, technique. Yeah, you, you, well, you've written a lot of poems, and, and they're certainly varied. So I don't feel obligated to worry about what you sent me. I don't know which which one you'd like to start with. I mean, I uh, well, why don't I just start cool. with um, my first book? Uh, this poem is very short. It's called Field, and it's from Song of the Cicadas, uh, from UMass Press. Uh, Field. Crows land like horses' names, rush of rocks. How many buffaloes does it take to plow a disaster? How many women to clean up the mess? Shoots of incense hotly in her hands. She bows towards the, towards the tombstones, face of her son. How many revolutions for us to realize? Her windless gray hair becomes her. She knows this. There is no reason to die what she's earned. Rain quiet as wings on her back. 
I wrote this poem on my uh, first trip back to Vietnam, um, you know, in, in the mid nineties. And, uh, and I was really struck upon seeing um, the tombstones of my ancestors because I, you know, all my life I've been rootless and I continue to be rootless, right? Trying to find root. But um, so then I wrote this poem because, um, because you know, the act of praying and the act of seeing uh, the tombstones of one's ancestors. So the, this book, actually, I, I was so honored um, that many years uh, years ago won the Juniper Prize from UMass Press. Um, the book, Song Cicadas. How how old were you when you left, and how old were you when you went back on this visit? Oh well, I was I was five years old when I came to the U.S. and then I went on the visit. Uh, actually, I intended to stay for a year. And I, I, I almost made it for a year, so it was a rather long visit. And I was in my mid-20s. And I'm, you know, I, I'm, I've been working on uh, fiction based on that, based on that first initial trip back to Vietnam, which has taken me a long time. I'm a very slow writer. <laughs> um, but, and then, you know, I do everything else, too, so that, that's the explanation, all the other artistic stuff. Do you, do you uh, think much about the whole idea of creativity, the fact that you are creative in so many different areas? I think that it's all, um, I, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to, um, to get stuck in one, in one, one groove too long. Cause I feel if I get stuck in one groove, then I become like a, like a faded recording. Um, you know, you like, you, you're just the recording. No, so you get out of the groove and then you move on, you, you rotate, you know, I rotate, um, creative practices and media and then I find that I'm fresher that way and I, I'm using different parts in my brain which I never knew that really existed so you know I surprise myself you know for instance when I'm composing music or um, uh, writing or dancing or whatever I, I think it's very important to stay fresh and um, and, and be creative as, as possible. The video that I watched on YouTube I'm forgetting the name now but you did, you did everything in that video. You did the visual art in the background, the musical score, the poem. I mean, I thought it was really impressive. And uh, what's the name of it? And, and how, was the, how did that happen? What happened first? What was the order of creating all those things to go together? Oh, um, you know, I, I can't quite remember, but um, <laughs> I, th okay. I think I, I, uh, I often just do everything at once. You know, and they things just follow, like you know, there's the river, like the the river, the waters just follow. Um, I really can't. I you know the the painting flows as well as the the writing and um, the dancing. I and you know which which video do you remember? Your uh, no, I remember it was it was like about a, I remember it was a little under two minutes. I think that's all. <laughs> and I was really impressed, but the exact title, well, that kind of got away from me. Oh, I see. <laughs> well, any, uh, anyway, uh, let's hear another poem. Okay. Um, so this one is, um, it has to do with uh, Vietnam as well. Um, uh, it's called Embarkment. It's from uh, my second book, Why is the Edge Always Windy? Embarkment, Hat Thai, Vietnam. One-legged man forgets himself. Arpeggio of dark. The fake Ray-Bans he'd been trying to sell for weeks are still in his hands. Shifty wind, shaft of straw, movement in stones, ashes lilting too. 
Is he glad he hadn't sold that pair to see the sun better or the moon, the darkness between? Behind sheets, a journey impossible to exist as twilight forever. For 75 years, fat rats scatter and sup on dog feces. Forever a person can live. The cone-hatted women, mud-smirched men of the fields see ambered time, and smooth underbellies of songs rise into mist. Children inch out with buckets of mauve ink water at the behest of teachers, pale reed soaked in whispers, are told to look into the water to view the eclipse, not the sun itself. Behind the image, the imagination, workers wade in hay, ears beyond the winded, the winded birds. Behind words, the intent, a distortion. Sinewy arms, dangling mouths, eyes to another world, smarting by the chant of the braced bodies, summing the nature of existence, a total eclipse. The one-legged man removes his glasses, squints. So this poem I was uh, referring to uh, I think I believe it was a total eclipse of the sun, and I'd never experienced anything like that. And it was, it, it only happens once every seventy-six years, so I'll probably never experience. I'll never experience it again. I don't think. <laughs> um, and um, and you know the 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 act of imagination and then seeing, right? Yeah, I, I I love that little idea. Is he glad that he didn't happen to sell those sunglasses? Oh, right, right. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's just a, a fun thing that I'm sure flashed into your mind. And it's just, right. it's just, just interesting. And the, and the other thing is, I had never heard the idea of looking at the reflection in water. Oh. I, I've heard other different things of what to do, you know, to not hurt your eyes. But I just had never happened to hear that. So that was quite interesting. Oh, really? So, oh. <laughs> Though, I you know at the time, that's what they were saying to people. Even on the news, they're saying, no, you should only look in the reflect reflection to see the, to the total eclipse because looking directly, you harm your eyes. Do we, hmm. You know, it didn't well, make it, that suggestion didn't make it to the U.S. that I've ever heard. Oh, well. <laughs> you know, do some other little thing, you know, to squint or look off to the side or whatever it is. That's just really, yeah, yeah I was wondering about that. That's cool because it, it's yeah. obvious it would, it would work, you know. To, to look at the re reflection off the water. I guess you have to have enough water around. That helps, I suppose. Right, well, yeah. buckets of water. Yeah, yeah, any kind would do. Mm -hmm. So, uh, what, what about that? What about the tango? Uh, that's, that's, how, how did that come into your life? Uh, well, um, you know, I, uh, I grew up dancing ballet and I in my early 20s I started doing flamenco and uh, flamenco is a solo dance and I and you know writing is a solo activity and then I wanted to connect with the community and, um, and I started doing salsa and then the tango took took over you know it's like fire just caught fire in my soul and then I um, I I've been dancing tango for 20 years and uh, I started going to Argentina in 2001 um, and you know, once a year, and uh, and then I've been, uh, I you know, living there for five six years. Um, so um, you know, it's um, it's 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 a pretty solid part of my life, um, and um, that's how that's how it started. Which you know, people are always so surprised. I also sing tango, <laughs> and um, 
you know, play the tango guitar. And so it's not just, you know, dancing was superficial, but, you know, I went really deeper in it and I started to sing and, you know, learn the lyrics and the guitar chords, which is really difficult. Anyway, okay, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll read a tango, a, a section of a, uh, uh, from my tango book, Tango Tangoing. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I'll, I'll read in English and then I'll read in Spanish to be as the uh, book is sure. bilingual. Tango Tangoing, Poems and Art. This, this, this is a section. How many times have you felt thus? Inklings among fingertips, soarings around the shoulder, blade, a rose and the lung, a pitcher and the heart, vines and veins, goaded by the invisible. I am dreaming aloud. Can you hear winds yes. blow? Let the avalanche begin. Cuántas veces te has sentido así? Presentimientos en la punta de los dedos, volando alrededor del homóplato, una rosa en el pulmón, un jarro en el corazón, viñas en las venas, aguijoneado por lo invisible. Sueño en voz alta, escuchas, soplan vientos. Que la avalancha empiece. Sit and watch the dance floor, arabesques. The lily procession spinning logically with restraint of the cold atmospheric universe and space handling the forces dollface you live one minute away by car i would see you walking home i thought you must have taken the bus must we live this timeline of here and now and not the future of the past let the dance hall go on fire from thought of you sentate mira la pista Arabescos, la procesión del dirios se enreda lógicamente, contenida, de frío universo atmosférico en el espacio, dirigiendo las fuerzas. Cara de muñeca, vivís por acá, te vi caminando a tu casa, pensé que habrías tomado el colectivo. Debemos vivir esta línea temporal, de la aquí y ahora, y no del futuro o del pasado. Que el salón de baile se enciende por tu pensamiento. So um, that was a section from the book, and the book is composed of three large, long poems that deal with the tango. Yeah. I'm trying to remember, Rita Dove had some poems about dancing. I'm trying to remember if hers were specifically the tango, or if it was just about ballroom dancing. I, I think, know uh, you know, yeah, ballroom yeah. dancing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just it flashed on that because she was very into it. Uh, had a bunch right. of poems about it. Yeah. You, you were pretty astonishing. You know, of course you did ballet and flamenco before you happened upon tango. Right, right, right. <laughs> not to mention, not to mention your accent on the Spanish. I'm impressed. Oh. But, but the point is, the point is to hear the poems. The poems are just really, really lovely. Uh, what, what would you like to do next? So let me read uh, some poems from my, from my newest book, called 1,000 Minds Brimming, 1,000 Minds Brimming Poems and Art. And um, quite a few of the poems deal with uh, uh, my experiences in Vietnam and personal history and the wars. And part of the book deals with love poems to certain foods that I've, you know, 
that I, I take into writing love poems too, like spinach, garlic, and tofu. Um, and then, you know, the rest of the book deals with other experiences uh, throughout the world. So mm -hmm. I'll, I'll begin with uh, a bamboo knife. Oh, I love that poem. Oh, thank you. A bamboo knife. To cut the umbilical cord. For what to cut the hysteria, the mania, the melancholia. Great grandmother, born December 7th, 1878. Died June 17th, 1962, Hadong, North Vietnam. A spoon to carve out the child from rice and malaria. A bag of bones to sink the body. A Sith to kill someone with. A map of the moon to go thereafter. From each birth, such bloodletting. Each baby alive to this world. For a few days, then return to the other world with only a name, only one survived. Five fetuses, five years of being bloated, five years of carrying. The midwife cut each umbilical cord with bamboo. Each time, baby turned porcelain blue, stopped breathing after a few days. Infection, tetanus, it was said. Only one was strong enough to survive infancy. My body could not take the grief. Trembling, I buried each blue child in the cemetery. I was brash, given to fits. I raised my child to pristine clarity as I could. Although all around us was unrest, always, a magnetic current, a swarm of wasps. He learned to treat the illnesses of others in the village, married and had children himself. The years were punctuated with increasing violence, uncertainty. 1954, my only child, his wife, my grandchildren, they've all left, not given me word. While sleeping, I dreamt of emptiness, an empty egg, a coffin. When I woke up, they were all gone. Do they blame me for having a tongue? Perhaps they wanted to cut my tongue. Where have they gone? I pull up my hair, scream for the ancestors, anybody to hear. The soldiers came, the Viet Cong. They seized my house, took my land, took everything, consigned me to a tree behind my house, made me eat dirt. Thank Buddha, I was so old, they left my shriveled flecks alone. But they chewed my tongue, then spat it out. So, um, yeah, that's um, the, um, you know, the injustices and the uh, results of wars and, and it just continues on into families, you know, generations afterwards with PTSD and all that. How did you uh, come to poetry? Well, I was uh, first a, a visual artist and um, I was, you know, since the age of five. So I, when I came to the US, I was, you know, I started to draw and paint. And, uh, you know, I, when I came here, I only spoke Vietnamese. So I had to learn the English language. Um, and then I think it was through this very careful learning of the English language and then studying each word literally and then mistaking people's, you know, intentions for the mean, you know, intentions for what the literal meaning was and all these mistakes. And I had to study so much and study so hard. You know, I basically slept with the dictionary. I think I was the only kid in high school who did this. <laughs> I like to think that way. <laughs> So I studied. So I think I overstudied. Then I started memorizing. I memorized Whitman and Dickinson and you know Sylvia Plath and because I and then uh, Shakespeare. 
so um, and then it just it just like stuck in my veins you know and then it, then then your own poetry starts pouring out once you start memorizing mm -hmm. poetry then your own work starts pouring out so that's what happened then I said you know oh yes the, the, then I just started to write everything down and I said well I, I'm gonna try to get good at this and I just started editing and I went out to San Francisco and I've, I, uh, I met with a group of Vietnamese American artists and writers and we started giving readings in the Bay Area and then I found that well there's an audience there's a voice you know I I found a voice and there's an audience and people want to hear so I should keep on doing it. <laughs> it's rewarding yeah. It is rewarding. It is rewarding. Yeah. It's spiritually rewarding, yeah. and I think it's um, and people find it spiritually um, uplifting, and you know, it's and that to me, it's it's really great. Completely agree. Poetry is, is a spiritual endeavor, and reading it or listening to it is enlightening. Definitely. It leads you in the absolutely. right direction. Oh, absolutely! And you know, it's um, doctors heal the body, and spirit uh, poetry heals the soul. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I'll read uh, a few more poems that have to do with uh, um, food. Love poems to food, like red chapters. <laughs> these are fun. That's an antidote to yeah. uh, Vietnam poems or the war poems. Love poems to spinach and uh, love poems to spinach, love poems to tofu. So I have about half of the book is devoted to these um, very. They're, they're kind of homages to uh, what gives us life, right? Like okay. uh, like the uh, ode to my socks. Okay. Exactly. Right. Pablo Neruda. Yeah. Right. I grew up yeah. reading him as well and memorizing his poems. And I actually memorized his poems in Spanish, too. So I just, you know, just <laughs> runs in your veins, right? Okay. So yeah. love poems to red chili peppers. And, and these poems are still from my new book, 1,000 Minds Grooming. Love poems to red chili peppers. Your red hot tongue slips into my mouth, sometimes unknowingly. You explode with each bite, all your diversions and fireworks, your petulant sting. I can't adequately extol you, for you are a paradox. Your unassuming tongue brings terror to most people, but to me brings ecstasy. Where did you receive all your powers? Perhaps from the ubiquitous sun, you pack in her rays. I'm in love with your arias, penetrating deeply, clearing me up for other pleasures. Let me move on to Love Home to Spinach. Okay. Love Home to Spinach. Your vulgar name is Spinach, but your glorious Latinate name is Spinacia oracea of the goose fruit family. Your large, dark green, juicy, edible leaves are beacons sending tremors through my body, and my masochistic loving you that most hate. I took to liking you immediately, and the love came later, stronger. I find you absolutely necessary, your stalks and leaves full of iron, your luscious, sweet, divine. You empower anyone who eats you, close to your original glory, is how I want you. This, um, how about another one, Love Poem to Tofu? Tofu needs love poems, I think. It has, okay. <laughs> it, it has I, think it, I think it has more detractors than spinach, perhaps. I'm not sure. <laughs> Maybe I'm projecting I love spinach. So. Oh, Love Poem to Tofu. Every day I open you up with a knife, slice you in half, boil. Oh, how I need you. Creamy, warm, creamy white, loaded with vegetable protein. 
how can I live without your textured taste? I don't even remember when we first met. It must have been in Saigon in a soup dish my mother made with tomatoes and a solitary flaming egg. For many years, I knew you made in California, not as good as in Vietnam. But now in Tokyo, you once again become divine. Your exquisite plain dipped in soy sauce or nukmam with a bit of lemon and cayenne pepper. Varieties of you I love, silken, firm, braised, tofu, I feast upon you. And, um, you know, thank you. You know, and uh, just... Uh, just yesterday, no, was it yesterday, two days ago, I, I gave a poetry reading with a jazz piano performance and it was absolutely great. You know, it's, uh -huh. I, I read these poems and I played my jazz piano while I was reading the poem. So people were just mesmerized. And you know, the music does so much, just, just yes. people up, you know. Uh, I, I, I've actually never seen so many happy, happy people. <laughs> And in a poetry audience, we feel so happy, you know. Usually people in a poetry audience are looking somber and grim. I know these people are you know, smiling and very happy. So I, I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, doing more of the jazz piano performances while I read my poetry. That's, yeah, that's a great idea. Poetry and music together, and together in performance really, really works so well. You know. well, oh, I, think, yeah. I think we've got time for one more. Which one would you like to do? This is the last poem in the book, 1,000 Minds for Me. Okay, a Bird of Laughing Feathers. A song gregarious, concord to every cell and mitochondrion, to every person, all bodies, nations, neighbors, sons, daughters, brothers and sisters, of every skin color, to those who breathe, those who sleep, to those who kick and bother to dream, to those who dream and die dreaming. Armistice to those with knives, guns, and bombs. A nail, a grenade on one's back. Cactus scorched, a board of thorns, ashes, knocking, knocking. To those who die, fighting, limbs burned off, eyes torched. To those who are alive, fighting, limbs bombed off, heart beating. A century in the forest, meditating under a tree. Repose to those with mercurial hearts, ailing. Peace to nocturnal invasions, bodily invasions to the seers, the blind and decrepit, to the pallbearers, a river of flowing blossoms. So I, I end the book with this um, peace poem. Yeah, that's really Great. nice. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. We've been enjoying the poetry of Mong Lan, and uh, so happy to have you with us from uh, right now from Houston, Texas. Thank you so much, Charlie. It was such an honor, such a pleasure to have a conversation with you and to share my poetry with your audience. Thank you so much. Listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter. You know, I often get asked by people, how can I get my poetry published? There are the obvious ways, submit to magazines and contests, send a manuscript to a book publisher. But I want to tell you a little bit about Smashwords.com, a publishing platform you can use to self-publish your poetry with no financial risk at all. This is important because there are publishing scams out there 
This is not one of them. Smashwords enables you to publish your poetry as an ebook that can be accessed through major ebook retailers. You can sell your ebook at any price you like or give it away free. There's also an option that lets you put a price on your book and simultaneously provide a coupon code for friends and family to access the book free or at any discounted price you like. To self publish your ebook, Go to Smashwords.com and click on Join for free to open an account. It's the way you usually do with an email address and a password that you make up. Again, there's no charge. Once you have your manuscript together, you get a copy of the Smashwords Style Guide. It's a free booklet you access at the site. It tells you everything you need to know to format your manuscript for submission. Formatting is critical. It takes some time, but it's worth it. Because the style guide tells you how to format your manuscript so that Smashwords software can then reformat it as is required by over a dozen different retailers such as Apple, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, Sony, and some you've never heard of. Once you format it for Smashwords, you use their form to submit the manuscript along with a cover, pricing information, a brief statement about the book, and one about yourself as the poet-author. You can make your book available immediately, or you can make it a pre-order with a future release date. Once it's submitted for immediate release, the book will publish to the Smashwords store in minutes. Now, I like Smashwords because it's useful for both new and experienced poets who would like to have a collection of their work made readily available for people. For example, I've published a brief sampling of poems that I can refer people to. A poet friend gave new life to a chapbook of poems that had been published by a small press publisher and gone out of print. She put it up on Smashwords. Now, my small poem collection is free, but it's rewarding to see that it's been downloaded by over 750 people. The website keeps a constantly updated record of downloads and sales. Royalty from my other Smashword publications, for which there may be a little fee, are combined and periodically deposited directly into my PayPal account. So, I like Smashwords because I find it useful for both new and experienced poets for a variety of reasons. I encourage you to at least check it out. I'm Charlie Rossiter, and this is Poetry Spoken Here. You've been listening to Poetry Spoken Here. I'm Charlie Rossiter, inviting you to join us again next time to let poetry speak to you. Music for today's program was written and performed by Jack Rossiter-Mundley. And remember, Poetry Spoken Here is more than a podcast. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash poetryspokenhere. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash poetryspokenhere. For more about today's show and other Poetry Spoken Here podcasts, as well as our blog, just visit our website, poetryspokenhere.com. If you'd like to submit suggestions of poets or topics for future podcasts, you can send to our email address, poetryspokenhere at gmail.com. 